Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, Anna Sosa shares a story about how she got back behind the wheel. On December 20th, 2002, 13 years ago to the date, uh, I went through one of the worst experiences of my life. It nearly killed me, uh, several times actually. And uh, it cost me a lot. It cost me the ability to believe in myself. It nearly cost me the ability to believe in a life where creativity could exist. It nearly cost me my ability to believe in hope. Um, It cost me my ability to drive. So on that Friday morning in December, around 7.20 a.m., I blacked out. Um, I had to have blacked out, but I don't know how long. Uh, I don't even think I realized it at the time, but what I remember first thing when I regained consciousness was the airbags starting to deflate in this really slow crumple, and there was this grainy haze all over the place, and uh, the smell, that really unnatural smell of gas and chemicals and burning, and specifically like electrics, electrical things burning, uh, it, it, it's, it's layers that go right through you, like something physical. And uh, I immediately think, oh, I'm, I'm going to keep going down the road that I was going on. I can see Albano cleaners in front of me. I'm just going to go along my merry way and press the gas pedal. Well, then I realize I'm not going anywhere at all. And... The smell is too much for me to take. I can see that there is rust on the forest green Albano cleaner sign and the letters are kind of yellowing and I start to hear this trickling noise. And this is the point in movies where the vehicle explodes. So then I'm like, snap, snap, and I snap back and I snap and I look to my right and there's my little sister and she's looking forward past the windshield which really isn't cracked that much and She's leaning forward because she's got all these book bags or all these textbooks in her book bag. And she's quiet and silent, but she seems okay. And so the first thing I think is get out. Get out right now. We have to get out. And I try to get out, but I can't. I'm stuck. My seatbelt's on. I think I'm okay, though. I I actually think I'm all right. So I unclick the belt. Get out. Get out right now. We have to get out of this van. So... Many of here are familiar with uh, traffic accidents or collisions. And there are all kinds of weird statistics and facts and opinions about collisions, one of which is uh, how minute a distance these accidents happen from where you live or where you work. And that held true for me. So in Norfolk, right here, there is a wonderful intersection called Five Points Intersection, which is exactly point five miles away from my parents' house where I decided to take my parents' pristine brand new van and drive my sister and my little cousin to middle school. Okay? I was 18 years old. Um, I was home from my first vacation, Christmas vacation from college, and uh, home for the holidays. So a few hours after the accident... I was alone in my parents' living room on this pulled-out 
sofa with this really frumpy mattress in fetal position, and there were neon orange tears coming out of my face because the, uh, the person at the hospital had to use this special liquid and this really weird machine that had all these delicate parts and it was really complex to make sure there was no debris in my eyes that would cause lasting damage. Um, and there wasn't any debris, but it hurt to open my eyes because the, the powder, the, the talc from the airbags uh, was in my eyes. And it would get worse as the week went on. It got so bad that I couldn't open my eyes. And so my longtime fiance at the time um, uh, had to help me dress and undress and take showers and feed me at times because I couldn't see. It eventually went away, though. And so with these neon tears coming out, I could hear my parents in my little sister's room. And thank goodness she was able to fall asleep after the accident. And uh, she was fine. She just had a bruise on her right thumb, and she had a little bump on her head, but she was fine. She was checked out at the hospital. Um, I could hear my parents, though, on that second floor talking, and they speak Tagalog, which is speaking Filipino, um, and English. And I'm certain, I'm certain they said comforting things, like everything's going to be okay, and it could have been worse. But what lingers... uh, is how much of a financial burden this would be. And uh, they couldn't afford this again at the time. I remember my mother saying, well, what's done is done. And my father saying, well, why did she have to drive them to school? Why was she so stupid? I can't believe this happened. She just has poor judgment. She's just a poor judge of things. And a fail. (laughs) Um, And... Really, perhaps their response, although painful, is natural and I think can be explained because my parents are both the eldest siblings in their families, in their respective families. We have a huge family. And they were responsible for bringing basically 90% of our family, their family, over from the Philippines to the States. And so I was raised by two people who are fighters, who are survivors, who are protectors, and they were probably just reacting in a way to protect themselves and protect all of us that were living under that roof. Um, and the thing is, they're my, my parents, and emotion clouds judgment, so I don't think that they're necessarily great at discussing their emotions because, again, it's a way of protecting themselves. So... <laughs> um, I just think it's interesting how parents can, I don't know if this is what everybody shares, but they often believe that they can be surrounded at will whenever they want by glass walls that are soundproof, and they can just say things while observing them and no one can hear them, but honestly, that's not true, and even though you speak in hushed voices on the second floor of your house, your children are listening, and as I'm hearing this, uh, I'm going through guilt and fear and um, it's, it, it, it's causing me to shake, and I'm racked with, like, sobs because the, the accident itself is playing through in my mind over and over again, over and over again, and I, I did something wrong, and I realized I could have I killed all of us. I could have killed my sister. I could have killed my cousin. We could be dead right now, and that's my fault, and no amount of sorry is going to change that, and... My parents heard me, not being able to control these emotions, and I tried. I really tried um, until they stopped talking. And still, this accident was playing over and over again in my head. 
I was on Chesapeake Boulevard making a right-hand turn onto Sills Point Road. It was a solid green. The road was clear. I make the turn, and then the world goes at an angle like this, and I hear a sharp, high, hollow sound from behind me, and that's when I blacked out. And maybe a second later, maybe a minute later, I wake up. It's when I snap and look at my sister, and she's okay, and I I unlock the seatbelt, get out of the car, get out of the car right now, and then I snap to behind her seat, and that's where we were hit. And that's, um, that's where my cousin is. And she's in a door, I guess, that's unrecognizable. And her right cheek is slumped on her right shoulder. And her hair is blowing in the air because the glass is no longer there. And I could see these huge widening gashes on her face. Um, and you know in documentaries when they show when like a whale is like cut with like a blade, like these big bright pink layers of flesh just kind of blossom out and all this dark liquid just comes out? That was there. And I couldn't let my sister see it, so get out of the car, get out of the car right now. But the door was crumpled on her side because of the impact and the van was bent into a V, so we get out on my side and... Um, this sudden interactions all over all over the place. There's a gentleman who is telling me to call my house, and he's called the ambulance. And then there's another gentleman talking to me, and he's like really sorry and has a weird smile on his face. And come out, come to find out, it's the guy that hit us. And um, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't let my sister see what's happening. My parents are devout Mormons. I'm no longer practicing, but my sister was really young, and so I, I got down on our knees, and um, just, to, just to keep her talking, just to keep her from looking at my cousin, I got down on our knees and told her that we're going to pray. I didn't pray to anybody in particular, but I spoke out loud and just told her that everything's going to be okay, and we're in this together, and, and we held our hands while the ambulance and the fire department are swarming around us. Now, I want to keep in mind here that when I went to the court, eventually, or went to court, um, the judge... And the policeman who gave me a ticket, when they found out where this accident was, just threw their hands up in the air and dropped the charges because they thought it was the stupidest intersection in the world. It's five points intersection, but it's actually like three roads that intersect, which you think it would either be called one point or six points. And it's not even like symmetrical. It's like an asymmetrical intersection. It's the stupidest intersection in the city. (laughs) So uh, winter break ended, and I went back to college in Richmond. And right before I went on my Christmas break, I was cast in my first ever full-length play. I was really, really excited about it. And so I'm back in Richmond for a week. And I was driving a friend's car to Chesterfield. And this was probably, I don't know, three, four weeks after the accident. But I was driving to Chesterfield, and I tried to drive myself off of a bridge um, because I couldn't shake the sensations of the accident. If a car passed by and they had exhaust, um, it would cause me to physically shake and nearly black out. And so that's when I decided I'm not going to uh, uh, put anybody else through this misery because it wasn't fair what I was feeling and doing, you know, having those things go on. So I dropped my license um, because my parents really wanted me to to save them on money. And that's actually a blessing in disguise because Richmond is a really crappy place to drive around, actually. And so... By March, I had finished my first full-length play. And the most exciting thing about it was, it was for the first time in my life, 
I got a chance to receive, well, first off, at that point in my life, I felt like that I was denied the freedom of being able to meet people of all walks of life who saw the world in completely different ways and, and they, like it gave me hope. Um, and being able to receive training on how to control your voice and your body and your mind for the stage was just absolutely freeing. And I got to stumble over myself over and over again, finding things about myself that I never knew existed. And, and um, it's really annoying, but like I really stumbled upon this glow of sorts, this actual glow that I had that you normally only see in other people, but it was in me and it, it couldn't control it. And it was really, really annoying to other people. And that's what college was like, 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 <laughs> like big, big victories, you know? And so by 2006, I graduated from VCU uh, with a BFA in theater performance at the top of my class. And I had to come back to Norfolk though. And unfortunately that led to, um, going back into that grainy haze and that despair that I felt after the accident. I couldn't drive. I was living with my parents. My fiance and I weren't financially stable enough to live together. And so I tried to do the good thing of taking the HRT bus and working and trying to do something that had, uh, that related to my degree, but it didn't work because honestly, while I would tell myself that I am lowering my carbon footprint and saving on money, you're not really reliable for a lot of these sorts of projects whenever you take the HRT system. Okay, I'm a huge fan of it, though. I'm not trying to say don't take HRT. Um, there's great adventures you can have on it, really. Um, and it cost. I, what, what catapulted me to continue a life creatively was this pressure cooker inside of me that I was desperate. I was in despair. And um, while it was... <laughs> the biggest challenge is when I first tried to do acting in this area, I, I met with the wrong people. The kind of creative artists that believe in shaming and popularity and a sick process. And I can safely tell you that none of them have ever stepped foot in this theater. I don't know where they are anymore. I don't talk to them anymore. But it, unfortunately, it, it led me to think that's the way it was always going to be when I was here. And, and every time I would try to get behind the wheel and drive, I would have an anxiety attack. Every time I would try to go to an audition, I wouldn't be able to go because I couldn't drive. And eventually it got to a point where well, I can't drive. I don't have any drive in life. I spent a whole year, practically, not a whole year literally, but um, where I was lying down in bed and I just ached. And I didn't have the ability um, to know how to ask for the tools to fix it. I didn't know who to go to. And so when people would talk to me and say, hey, Anna, why didn't you go to this thing or do that thing? And why, aren't you, why don't you come out with us? I would often decline because... It's not all chalked up to that, but I, I felt inadequate. And part of it was the way I was raised. I didn't want to be a burden on somebody and ask them to drive me. Um, and I was protecting myself. I just thought, you know, I can, I, can, I can handle this on my own. I can just take a little bit of time for myself and refresh. And that indeed is true, but only when it's done in a healthy way. And I didn't, again, have the tools to be able to ask how to do that in a healthy way. But I kept going. For some reason, every time this pressure cooker would build... Eventually, I was doing shows. Whether I liked them or not, I was doing shows, and it was this idea that, well, even if I fail, just do it anyways. Just do it anyways, and if I'm not reliable, screw it. <sighs> My husband tried his best to, to uh, understand the state I was going through, and he would drive me basically everywhere 
about 90 to 95% of the time, if I had a rehearsal or an audition, he would go and wait there for hours and hours and then take me back. It's such devotion. It's such loyalty. But it comes at a cost, especially when it's over the course of 10 years and more. The pressure cooker is building for both of us, you know? And so we tried our best to meet halfway in the middle with our respective uh, callings in life, mine being in the arts and his with biology and sciences. And I'm forever grateful for that, even trying. But stumbling and stumbling, that pressure cooker eventually did pay off. Especially this past year. And I wish I could tell you why, okay? I wish I could tell you exactly why it happened, but I think it's because I was stumbling upon myself and also because I stumbled upon my tribe. And many of you that are in that tribe are in this room right now. And so I just need you to know that if I'm ever not myself or if I have trouble, um, again, stumbling, just be patient with me. It took me 13 years to get to where I am right now. Um... And in the past year, I've been able to work on and work with the most beautiful people, the most unique creative people I've ever met in my life, who help me believe in myself, who help me feel like there are other ways to see the world. And uh, 13 years from that accident to this day, I can tell you that my little sister and my cousin are both driving. They're excellent drivers, actually. Uh, They're beautiful, and they're working hard at life. They are raised in a family where we're fighters and we're protectors, even if we're so much so that it's hard to connect to us. And I feel like that light in me, that glow, is still there because I found my tribe. So don't lose me, okay? I need you. Um, And then... (laughs) As of August, I am driving. (laughs) I bought a car. I bought a car. (laughs) I bought a brand new car as of like three weeks ago. Um, And I have this belief that cars really are weapons. You're responsible for a weapon when you get behind a car, okay? Um, But... I, I, I'm protected by my tribe and by patience. And <sighs> I didn't come up here just to tell you that because it happens to be 13 years ago to the date that it happened. I also came up here so I could stand back and say, hell yeah. This life is worth living no matter how tangled up it is. And if that doesn't give you hope, then you better come see me afterwards and look me in the eye and you tell me what's better. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one or just see the show live, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.